Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. It is Monday, the 16th of May, 2022. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for including me in your day today. I love it. Um, All right. So we have some terrible, sobering headlines from across the country from over the weekend um, and other headlines from around the world. So we're going to jump in. The goal here is to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the matters of the day. Um. Over the weekend, the United States saw just violence uh, across the country, Um, and obviously we're continuing to hear reports from around the world related to um, war and famine. And so, you know, Christians take pause. I, uh, I just confess to you, I have a number of friends who have totally checked out, receded from the conversation. Um, You know, they're basically hunkering down. Rod Dreher's Benedict option seems not only prescient now, but prescriptive for some. I'm going to continue to contend that the people of God are called to lean in and lead, not lean away um, and not recede. So how do we lean in? How do we lead? Um, How do we resist the temptation to isolate and insulate ourselves and, and walk away from a world in such desperate need? So places across the country um, where gun violence, you know, is certainly the headline and grief uh, is very real this morning for not only communities, but individuals and their families. Ten people killed in Buffalo, New York, um, others wounded in a grocery shooting there, um, a racially motivated attack by a white teenager who drove um, a couple hundred miles from his home. He live-streamed the carnage on a gaming platform called Twitch. Authorities um, subsequently uncovered uh, a racist manifesto uh, that he wrote. By the way, he um, surrendered at the end of this, so he will be prosecuted, and we and we will know more, right, about his motivations. We have learned since his uh, arrest that he does have a recorded history of mental illness struggles, Um, and making attack threats. Uh, He is being held without bail. In Houston, two people were killed, three more taken to the hospital, injuries after a shooting yesterday at an open-air flea market, um, that arising from a quote-unquote altercation. Um, In Chicago, a curfew banning unaccompanied minors uh, in Millennium Park after 6 p.m. Thursday through Sunday was imposed by the mayor, after a 16-year-old was shot and killed on Saturday. In Milwaukee, a curfew was imposed in that city um, because there was this massive watch party for the NBA's Bucks, and that was canceled, um, and beer sales were slowed in the downtown area because 21 people were hurt in three separate shootings on Friday night. Um, And 
so, yeah, I mean, all, because I don't know, their teams weren't winning or their team wasn't winning. Um, yeah, two groups of people started sh- uh, firing at each other, 17 um, people injured, no one killed in that exchange. But yesterday in Orange County, California, one person was killed and others wounded in a church in Laguna Woods, California. Um, it was a, at a luncheon. There's a Taiwanese congregation that meets at the Geneva Presbyterian Church every Sunday and following their worship service, they have lunch together. It was during that event that an unknown uh, Asian man walked in and began firing upon the people who were gathered there. One individual was killed, others taken to the hospital. Um, one of the things that you're going to hear, you know, is this is this conversation about mass shootings in the United States of America. We are we've been running at a rate of ten mass shootings per week last year and this year, um, and the shooting in Buffalo was uh, was the deadliest. Shooting yesterday at the church in California was, I think, number 199, uh, the 199th quote-unquote mass shooting in 2022. And the issues, you know, you're going to hear a lot of people say the issues, the issue is gun control. The issue is hate and rage and mental illness and political frustration and social isolation and economic and demographic displacement and online inspiration and radicalization. And yes, and yes, an increasingly secular society in which everyone does what is right in their own eyes and people don't know how to manage their emotions or their relationships or their rage. I mean, so don't let this be reduced to the weapon in the hand. The weapon in the hand matters and there should be conversations about that. But the hate, the rage, the mental illness, the political frustration, on and on and on, um, and, and the fact that we live in a day and an age when people literally do whatever is right in their own eyes and fewer and fewer people are guided by the Holy Spirit and constrained um, in that way. That's the real issue. So into all of this, Jesus reminds us that blessed are the peacemakers. James, the brother of Jesus, reminds us that the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. The harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The prophet Isaiah gives us this vision of a peaceable kingdom where the wolf shall lie down with the lamb. God calls us to be peacemakers, to heal a world in brokenness. And, and yeah, Psalm 72 comes to mind. How do we do that? How do we do that? We proclaim, we follow and we proclaim the one who is the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, reliant upon the Holy Spirit, the very peace of Christ, which passes all understanding. We walk by faith. We seek peace and pursue it, as Peter says. The peace of Christ absolutely passes human understanding, but it is the spirit by which the people of Christ live in the world today. So let's do that. Let's be people who sow peace and make peace and extend peace, not receding, but leaning into and leading in the conversations of the day. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Dave Buring joins us next. We're going to talk about leading ourselves God's way. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. From Lion Share, you can find what we're talking about today and lots of other great resources at lionshare.org. Dave, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. 
How are you today? Whew, I'm taking a deep breath. I'm taking yeah, a deep breath. It's too. Monday morning. Um, the world feels like it's a little bit on fire. Uh, graduations, weddings, you know, trying to get ready for summer. I don't know. How about you? Yeah. No, and, and I think just watching the news as you were just talking about, it's, oh, boy, do we need Jesus. Amen. 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 And then, you know, we, we hear... We hear in the uh, in the header at the at the top of this hour, you know, that the freedom from religion people are putting up billboards. You know, good news is hell is not real. And I'm thinking to myself, uh, oh, do the Psalms have something to say to you, dear friend? Uh, I mean, you know, the, uh, the, the fools. I mean, right. I mean, it just anyway. So it's there are there's an endless number of opportunities for Christians in the culture in every direction. And sometimes we um, find ourselves in a place or space in our walk, where we wonder, who am I supposed to be following right now? Who is supposed to be leading me? Um, maybe there's yeah. not a, a ready mentor available, somebody that's you know sort of like obviously, you know, around me that's ahead of me on the journey. So let's talk about leading ourselves. Yeah, yeah. I think it's you know, you maybe have been down this path too, but over the last number of years, for me, uh, the phrase I'll often use, I like. I like the phrase self-leadership. I often use self-governing. And mm, it just good. seems it just seems like um you know over the years we've done less self-governing. I, I don't know if it you know if it if it's because of the different hurts and wounds that have come from outside of us that we just kind of dwell on that which again th- those are very real, they're tangible, they're impacting of our lives, but there seems to be this lack of saying okay this has really impacted me. What do I need to do with this? And instead of pointing fingers or, you know, blaming others and not taking responsibility for oneself, I, I just find that that there's this lowering of godly character, lowering of being able to express our trust in God in the midst of when our circumstances, I, I mean, I say a lot, Carmen, God, I don't understand, but I trust you. And, and I and that's part of the way that I, I make it through and part of the way I will govern myself is, hey, this little pea brain can't understand everything, but I trust who you are in the midst of this, that you will love me, you will lead me, you will guide me. And so I think a lot of this begins with just the whole area of how do we govern ourselves? When you use um, the term govern, um, you know, obviously my mind goes to government goes to, you know, a person in a position called the governor, um, but it also goes to that thing on my vehicle that uh, limits my speed, right? I think of it as, um, right, this, this, it's not really a speed control so much as it is, hey, your engine is revving really hot. Maybe this is a time for the governor to kick in. I need an internal governor, and then I need a person who is an internal governor, and that is Jesus taking every yeah. ha- every thought captive, right? So this term, I think, is helpful as well. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, again, whether you use self-leadership or self-governing, it's it, it's an important thing. Like, like Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says that one of the expressions of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And it's something that we have to, to take a look at. I think of Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, where he says, Um, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Do not run aimlessly. I do not run as one or or box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body, 
keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself shall be disqualified. So Paul is dealing with this area even you know, of physical stuff, of mental stuff, of emotional stuff, of, of being under control. And I think this is where we have wonderful counselors, we've got people that can walk al- alongside of us. But until we come to that point of saying, I've got to own my stuff, I've got to own my life, it's like nobody else can really help us get it together. Jesus, with that attitude, and then surrounding us with people who can help, we can get there. Mm. All right. So that is so good. We're going to continue this conversation with Dave Buring in just a moment. Just ask yourself this question. Um, you know, am I under control? And if so, under whose control am I? Am I out of control? If so, why? What does it look like for my life to be self-governed um, under the control of Christ within within the limits and the bounds of um, of God's authority? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. We'll be right back. All right, as we talk about wisdom and we talk about self-governance, you hear that in relationship to we, the people of the United States. Um, It occurs to me that the self-governance of the United States depends on a people who are individually rightly self-governed. So we're talking about um, what it means to lead ourselves in God's way, what, um, what it looks like to lead lives that are not out of control, but um, under the control of the sovereignty of God. And how do we walk in that? And how do we grow in that? Dave Buring is leading us through this conversation. Uh, you can find what we're talking about today and other resources at lionshare.org. Dave, um, where do we go from here in this conversation? Well, I think, you know, it's taking a look at what are some of the things that enable us to succeed and to walk well. And I, I'll throw out a couple of things. And I've got a list here of five or six, and, and, and I'll just throw out a couple of them. The first one is this. It's recognizing our vulnerabilities. Each one of us have places in our lives where we struggle and for very legitimate reasons. And one of the things when I'm discipling leaders, Carmen, a a question that I ask at at a first retreat of a six-month thing that I do called a leadership journey is at the retreat, after we get to know each other a little bit, I begin with this question. If you were the devil, how would you take you out? Mm -hmm. And most leaders are not pausing to think about this because they're just going with life and moving and fast and all this. But it's like, what are the areas of your life that are most vulnerable? This could be thoughts, attitudes, relationships, words, actions, all kinds of things. But I, I think one of the things that as a follower of Jesus, I don't want to give, give a foothold to the enemy of my soul. So I've got to be aware of where am I most vulnerable and in what settings or what situations am I finding myself most vulnerable? I think that's a really good question for us to ask. It helps us recognize, as we talk about self-governing, where we need to grow, where we need to muscle up in the Lord. Um, I I think another place for me that I often don't hear talked about a lot, which again, it might sound weird because again, we're relying on so many other people in our lives, but in, in 1 Samuel 30, it says this, and David was greatly distressed for, for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord is God. Like in that moment when he's greatly distressed, people are ready to stone. There's nobody to say, come on, big guy, we can make it through. Nobody. 
And I think there's something about learning how to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, which is spending some time with him, seeking him first. It's, it's also surrounding yourself with really committed godly people in, in your life. It's one of the ways when I strengthen myself, I, I look at things inside. Okay, God, this is going on. What does your word say about this? Where can I trust your character more? But then it's also as I'm strengthening myself, I will go put myself uh, in a place with committed godly people in my life. Mm, that's so good. All right. So recognize our vulnerabilities. I mean, when you mm-hmm. say that, I see mm-hmm. the devil prowling around looking for a way in. So what are those points mm-hmm. of vulnerability? Um, and then how can I how can I strengthen myself against that? Um, mm-hmm. And then this um, this spirit of David strengthening himself in the Lord from First Samuel 30. How can I do that in my own life? Um, what What else is on your list? Yeah, so again, let me emphasize the surrounding yourself with committed godly people. There, there's a group of three men, Carmen, Jim, Dan, and Bruce. Uh, we've been meeting regularly since 2006. And so uh, if not monthly, every six to eight weeks, we're together. And there is, you know, just the guy have, guys having fun with each other over breakfast. But then one of us will turn to the other and say, hey, so Dano, how you doing? And, mm-hmm. and Dan has his opportunity to really lay out what's going on in his life. And then he'll pass the buck to the next person. And, and then until all four of us have shared. And it's, it's a group that, yes, we cheer each other on, but we also challenge each other. And each one of us have been challenged over the years by the others when there's been a place in our lives that has not reflected God or a place in our lives where, where we can recognize where the enemy is trying to steal, kill and destroy and we can't do this thing alone. We've got to be surrounded by committed, godly people. And I'll sometimes, when I share this, people say, yeah, but Dave, I can't find, I, I can't find a group to plug into. My answer is always the same. Then start one. Mm-hmm. Start one. Who are those two, three, four people in your life that would be willing to, on a regular basis, you know, and it's not just serious stuff. I mean, we, we've gone down fishing together and Costa Rica, and we've done a number of things that just keeps our relationships alive. We're all former athletes and different things, so there's a lot of activity. But when it comes to heart-to-heart stuff, you got to find people that are willing to walk with you. Yeah, amen. Um, what else? Well, I think one of the things is, is, uh, is walking in God's ways. It's like one of the ways that our, our self-governing can be adjusted is when we understand God's ways. And when I say God's ways, I mean how God goes about doing things. Like it could be as simple as um, how do I relate better to somebody else? Like God's principles of relationship include things like love and forgiveness. They include things like honoring one another. Like, like just beginning to apply those kinds of things in our lives relationally is a big deal. I think when we talk about walking in God's ways, too, it, it comes back to, am I, am I on my own out here, or am I really seeking the Lord? Because he tells us, I love Psalm 27, 4. David says, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I think part of the ways of God is there's a, a regularity to seeking God in scripture, seeking God in prayer, even at times fasting in prayer. And so I think I think some of these kinds of things can get us, if I could use this language, rightly aligned to the ways of God that allows God then to come and do what he can do. That's so good. 
That's so good. That's so helpful. Um, Dave, thank you so much um, for unlocking this bit of wisdom for us. I know you guys have uh, a podcast posted on this topic, yeah. Uh, yeah. The Ways of God Unlocked Wisdom. Talk, talk with us about where to find that. Yeah, so if you go to lionshare.org and hit podcast, there's a really good podcast on this topic hosted by Sonia Beerson with Nancy Reese. And Nancy has some tremendous wisdom from her own journey to share on self-leadership that I think will be very, very helpful to people. Two of my favorites, Sonia and Nancy. I love that. All right. Um, Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Again, you guys can find these resources at lionshare.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right, before we have a conversation with Adam Carrington about some of the uh, political and economic headlines of the day, I want you to just for a moment, just for a moment, um, you're going to let your mind range about and wander. This is a holy imagination moment. Think of all of the places in the Bible where a basket is involved. All right, so now part of my reason for bringing this up is that there uh people are watching a lot of basketball right now and so you know me i'm a mental hook kind of person and so um the word basket you know looms large in the conversation about basketball and so got me thinking where are all the baskets in the bible and we have the multiplication of the fishes and the loaves and there's 12 what full at the end baskets full um at the end but there's also the basket in which moses is um floated down the river, right, by uh, by his mother to preserve his life and fished out by this, uh, by the daughter of Pharaoh. There is, um, there is the basket in which Paul is lowered down over the wall. Um, there is, uh, there's the priest in, in Deuteronomy 26 that takes the basket and sets it down before the altar of the Lord. Um, there are these uh, these baskets and these kneading, kneading trowels uh, discussed in Deuteronomy as well. When you think about baskets, I just want you to just think for a moment, are there any other baskets in the Bible that come to mind? Hmm. Um, I don't know. That's what comes to my mind. Any other baskets come to your mind? If so, you can text me, 877-933-2484. Those are the baskets that come to my mind. And you're saying to yourself, why, why is she talking about baskets? Because, you know, you could make a basket case. I mean, you could be a basket case. I don't want you to be a basket case. I want you to consider making a basket case today. So I'm going to make a basket case from uh, the New Testament story where Jesus multiplies, you know, this, this small amount of food, an insufficient amount of food to, to feed two, and instead he feeds thousands with it. Um, people ate and were filled, and then they took up, in one case, in one telling of the story, because this probably happened multiple times. So in one case, there's seven baskets of broken pieces left over and taken up. And in another, there are 12 baskets of broken pieces. Um, you could read Mark chapter 6 and Mark chapter 8 for those two different stories. You know, I think that the conversation is, what's your basket case? Do you see Jesus as uh, as able and willing and sufficient and gracious and plentiful today? Because that's the basket case the world needs to hear. I mean, the world is a basket case. Let's bring a basket case of Jesus to bear upon it. 
Adam Carrington is going to join us next. We're going to talk about some Supreme Court-related conversations across the country. We're going to talk about life issues. We're going to talk about the retirement of the Biden administration press secretary. I mean, I don't know, she's not old enough to retire, but she's changing jobs. All right, uh, all kinds of stuff. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Adam Carrington is back from Hillsdale College. Adam, good morning. Good morning. How are you all doing? Well, I am. I am well. I am well. Um, the Supreme Court uh, seems like a dominant topic of conversation in the culture today. Thousands, tens of thousands of people um, protesting, counter-protesting over the weekend across the country in anticipation of a Supreme Court ruling that not only was leaked, but then there was a further leak saying that the original leak probably is uh, currently the um, uh, the conversation topic um, that there's not another. There's not yet another um, version of the opinion being circulated, which means that, you know, the, the Supreme Court has a leaking problem and that is a problem. Um, but other things about this you'd like to talk about. Sure. Well, it certainly has undermined the trust on the Supreme Court, and that's going to do some, I think, long-term damage. But it it also shows that uh, we might be in for a pretty big earthquake coming with with, with the court. And I think that uh, the thing to keep in mind is something could still change, but that if not, it's going to set in place some things we've talked about before, where there's going to be a lot of questions about what the pro-life movement does next. I think we talked about that well as far as a blueprint for, for how to act. Um, but it, it, it's, it's, it's going to be really interesting because part of the leaks also said that no dissent had been circulated yet. And since no dissent had been circulated yet, I'm pretty confident they're going to wait to issue any opinion but it means that we're probably still waiting till the end of June to get this, which means, you know, people are going to be still trying to make sure no one switch their, switches their vote. Because uh, one thing I'll say is um, most people real believe that there was a five to four vote to overturn Roe v. Wade in 1992 with Planned Parenthood v. Casey and uh, that Justice Kennedy changed his vote and then kept his vote changed the rest of his career. So uh, hold your horses, you know, don't count your chickens till they're hatched, all the different sayings you can say. But uh, this is very hopeful that, that, that the future is something that the pro-life movement will be able to work with and have room to work at a degree and, and amount that we've never seen before. Uh, I think one last thing I'll mention about it is I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the midterms because to some degree, Democrats are excited and Republicans are worried on a purely political level that this is going to be a boon to Democrats. It's going to turn around their very lagging fortunes, and their fortunes are very lagging right now. But uh, I, I'm not convinced of that. Uh, I'm not convinced that that's something that's going to drive people to the polls over other issues that are people are finding and that are, uh, for many of them, uh, more directly uh, affecting their lives. So that's the other thing I'd say to look at. So obviously a cultural issue this big, there's so much uh, that's in in play, so much to talk about. Uh, We're going to have to keep our eyes peeled on the courts uh, from now through the end of June to see what's going on. 
So remind us, every um, Monday in June, we should expect something from the Supreme Court. I had in my mind that they were going to that we were going to learn something from the Supreme Court today. But it doesn't that those releases don't start until June. Is that correct? They will. They have announced that they will release opinions today. I would be surprised, I guess not completely stunned, but surprised if Dobbs, the big abortion case, comes down. But they release opinions throughout the year as they finish them. Oh. Mm. But but at first it takes a while to get the first batch done. They they have to listen to arguments, and so most of the opinions don't come till after Christmas. But then the big big opinions don't start dropping till June. And not only is it every Monday in June, they'll often schedule extra days that they'll announce a few days ahead of time to say, okay, this Thursday we're releasing additional opinions. And those are when the big ones come out. And why does it take till June for that to happen? One is that maybe they have a little bit of flair for um, the, the, you know, trying to uh, lead us on or get, you know, a a little flair for uh, uh, being dramatic. But the biggest part is the really big opinions just take longer because it's harder to get five justices to sign on to an opinion. So they are wrangling and passing around drafts. There's more people that want to write opinions, more people that write dissents, more people that write what are called concurring opinions where they agree with the outcome but want to give their own two cents that didn't get into the actual opinion. So that's why it takes so long for those opinions to come out mostly is the justices want to get it right. They know it's controversial, and so they spend extra time compared to um, simple opinions that most people aren't paying attention to. So that that's why in June you're going to see the biggest opinions and you're going to see them coming uh, faster than what you saw earlier in the year as the court tries to finish up. And then what happens is they take a vacation after that. So they're finish up usually by the end of June and then they take a vacation till the first Monday in October. So that's how that's why that calendar works out the way it is and why June becomes what I've called before SCOTUSmas, where if you're a Supreme Court junkie, the big opinions that are the biggest and, and most fruitful come out. I can only imagine that not only will they need a vacation, but one will be hard to come by that's not, um, you know, somehow under not only scrutiny, but potential attack. Just give us your reflections on the way people are Um, responding to the prospect of Roe v. Wade being uh, overturned by the Dobbs decision of the Supreme Court. I mean, talk talk about the um, really the assault uh, upon their homes. Right. I I think the underlying thing here is the idea that we are worshiping beings and we will find someone or something to worship and we will sacrifice to that or we will want to uh, uh, do uh, sometimes, you know, almost anything for that thing we worship. And if it's not the true God, that gets disordered and that can get even dangerous in some situations. And I think what you're seeing is certain gods of the, that have been built around uh, abortion and that abortion is part of, not the only manifestation of, there are other manifestations of it, but certainly a big one, are now threatened. And they're, and I think people are lashing out as if their gods are being torn down. And uh, because of that, the justices are now requiring, the justices of the Supreme Court, I mean, are requiring additional security around their homes and churches 
around the country. There have been vandalism, some of it. We're not entirely sure if it's related to this. Some is very obvious, some graffiti and other things spray painted on churches about Roe v. Wade, about abortion. And uh, uh, other actions at Right to Life centers and other things like that that have happened. You can find these online. There's people keeping tabs uh, about them. And I think that uh, in addition to saying that it is a, a, a situation where people are worshiping false gods and then reacting to those gods being torn down or being threatened, that you also have to say that this is not the way a healthy republic can can operate, at least not long term, that we are built off the idea that we talk and vote through our differences. We talk, and then after we've talked, we vote. And then we respect, within the bounds of what the Constitution allows, we respect the outcome of those talking and those voting, including even Supreme Court opinions as a manifestation of um, the, the, the following the will of the Constitution. And you're seeing some real threats to that, because what do you go to if the if you can't talk and you can't vote? What's your alternative? And and Lincoln said what the alternative was in 1861. What's the alternative to ballots? It's bullets. It's it's violence. It's it's um, uh, the kind of things that we're seeing at least some what uh, sadly possibly foreshadows of. Let's hope it doesn't come, but that's really, it, it's dangerous on both of those levels. It's false gods, and it's a undermining of the way that a peaceful republic operates. And uh, you're, you're, and, and if this decision does come down, uh, you have to at least be ready, if you're a local church, uh, if you're a Supreme Court justice, if, if someone, one of them is listening, um, you have to be ready for uh, uh, that outcry as if someone's gods have been torn down and that they're going to be willing to act outside the parameters of, of a republic to do, to do, to try to defend their own gods. If a Supreme Court justice is listening right now, the main thing I want you to know is we are praying for you, ardently praying for you. That's, um, I mean, Adam, you're just mentioning that, that, you know, like, right, we never really know who's listening, but, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think that that I want that to be at the forefront of what I would communicate if I had the ear of a Supreme Court justice, I would just say, we're praying for you. Um, mm -hmm. There's there are times in a in a culture where, I mean, we don't know what to do, um, but we turn to God and our eyes are fixed on him um, and we bow our heads and lift up our hands and ask him to intercede. And it does feel as if we have arrived at such a time in our culture. Um, I mean, there are, I mean, I heard a police officer say last week, we cannot arrest our way out of this. I mean, looking at a sea of, a sea of protesters. I mean, you know, if they, if they turn violent, there's, I mean, you know, what, what are the police to do? What, what do we want our local police officers to do? We don't want them to use force against our fellow citizens, like we don't want to see that. Um, but how do you bring, um, how do you bring a people back into compliance with our shared understanding of what it means to live peaceably with one another when we don't get our way? Like, right? I mean, we we can't behave this way and still function um, as a representative democracy. Like, right? We vote and then we respect the outcome. As when we don't get our way. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I appreciate you noting the spiritual nature of this. 
There's absolutely uh, a spiritual war going on, and there is absolutely a worship of false gods, and it is evident. It, it is, I mean, you can see it. So, um, Adam, let's um, let's take a very brief break. Let's come back and let's pivot towards a conversation about the uh, about the economy. Um, you have a little good news for us in terms of the strength of the dollar uh, globally. And so we want to talk about the economy. There's lots of negative things that we could look at. Uh, so we're going to look at the mix of the negative and the positive. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. We're talking with Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. And we'll be right back. All right. Hey, thank you for all of your interaction on the text line this morning. Remember, you can text me during the show, 877-933-2484. Adam, um, when we look at the economic indicators, most of them look bad, um, but you do bring me one that looks good. So can we talk about all of them? Sure. Uh, I, I, the the neg- Maybe I'll start with the negative so we can end on the on the one positive note. Uh, obviously, in inflation continues to be bad. There's some slowdown in it, but it's only a slowdown in the increase of inflation. So things continue to get more expensive while people's wages stay the same. And I think that the other problem that is particularly bad is if you look at the rest of the world, even if the U.S. is able to do some things to climb out of this inflation jump and the economic turmoil that is accompanying it, Europe and China, two of our biggest trading partners and two massive parts of the global economy, are both doing poorly. China is really struggling coming out of COVID. Europe is really struggling with the war in Ukraine and what it's doing to energy prices. And if you put those all together with the crypto bubble popping, uh, uh, that finally not working in the way that I think many people thought it would not work, then you've got a recipe for so many things going bad that it's 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 the question is how quickly can we can we really dig out when there's that many indicators now the one that is helping and will continue to help is that the dollar is strong uh, the dollar is strong against other currencies and people are investing internationally in the dollar over other currencies by a pretty whopping rate i think we're uh, well above the yen, uh, Japan's uh, uh, currency. We're well above a certain the euro, and what that means is a strong dollar means a lot of purchasing power for for international products. It means that our dollar goes farther in buying products that are coming from other countries, and what that means is that. A stronger dollar means we do better against inflation. So in other words, inflation is bad. It could be worse. If we were in Europe, we would be feeling inflation even worse. We'd be make getting less money. Our dollar would be going even less. Our money would be going even less far. So a strong dollar also makes it so that the Federal Reserve has a little bit more room to work, a little bit more give to try to manage the economy with interest rates. So it's not it's a silver lining. I'm not trying to say all of a sudden we found the thing that's going to get us out of all this, but this, at least it is something that is keeping these prices down a bit. It's something that uh, could be a way that we could have a little less damage than Europe and, and, and China when it comes to 
getting out of this economic mess that we seem to be moving our way toward. So that is the one good piece of information that I can give in addition to all the ones that I know a lot of people out there are feeling in their pocketbooks as they're trying to buy groceries, as they're po- trying to do a lot of other things. Yeah, it's um, inflation is, I mean, it's everywhere. Um, and I know that everybody listening right now is feeling it in the same ways that you and I uh, are feeling it. Um, I mean, even a consideration like how far am I going to uh, drive both directions to something or whether or not we're going to try to figure out how many stops to make, you know, en route to one place or another instead of making an extra trip out. Like we're we're being very conscious about that in ways that we have not been conscious in the past. So um, filling up the car with gas is, I mean, it's a near traumatic experience. Um, so, yeah. Yes. So, yeah. Um, hey, let's talk about, well, first of all, Jen Paskey is not old enough to retire. So when we use that word, um, you know, we use it uh, differently than maybe we have in the past. Um, but she has uh, left as the press secretary for the president and the Biden administration. Talk with us a little bit about the role of the press secretary. Um, I think there's probably people listening who are like, do we really need that person? And what, you know, what, but why do I need a person talking for me? Why, why doesn't the president just get out there and speak for himself? Right, because he has his own press conferences too. So why do you have a White House press corps that meets with a press secretary? That That's a good, that's a good question. And it's interesting. The press secretary is actually a pretty, it's been around for a long time. There were seeds of it in the Cleveland and McKinley administrations. That goes all the way back to the late 1800s, where you had persons that interacted with the press on behalf of the White House that would put together what the press had said about the White House to bring to the president. But the press secretary, more as we understand it, someone who is meeting regularly with the press representing the president to the press on a regular basis starts with the Hoover administration in 1929. And Hoover is not known for being pretty savvy, although he was in certain ways before events of the Great Depression really overwhelmed any good opinion of him. And he had uh, he was pretty savvy with the press for the first couple years of his administration. And that included for saying, I need someone who is consistently working with the press uh, uh, and not just myself. And I think what it comes down to is the presidency is such a massive job now. The bureaucracy is so large. The cabinet administrations are so large. The working with Congress is so cumbersome that while the president certainly needs to directly address the press at times, he needs a subordinate to be a regular interactor with the press. And the press itself has gotten so large. And and in the, and especially now that you have 24-hour cable news that are constantly watching the White House, constantly reporting on the White House, having a, a particular person who is dedicated to interacting with the press, giving them information, trying to show to the American people through the press why a president is acting the way he is acting, why he's making the choices he's making, has become important for really communicating between the president and the American people. And of course, there's a lot of imperfections to it, as there is with any of these things. But I think that's what it ultimately comes down to, is the president, because he has so much going on, needs someone who can communicate through the press to the American people to try to communicate why he's acting the way he's acting as the people themselves try to assess 
is this an administration that we're in agreement with? Is this an administration that we want to continue for another term when that comes up or that we want to continue their party in Congress when midterms come up? So I think that's where this is coming. And that's why the press secretary has grown so powerful as the media has gotten bigger and more powerful. And as the need for the president to communicate through the media has become so important, the press secretary has gone from a smaller role when it first started to something very big now. Mm. It's a huge role and responsibility. Um, And so when we talk about people serving at every layer and in every position of government, I'm wondering if we're praying for them um, ardently and actively. Certainly, let's be praying today for the president and the vice president. Let's be praying for members of Congress. Let's be praying for the justices of the Supreme Court and those who serve alongside them. Let's be praying for people like the press secretary. Let's be praying for um, the truth to be told in ways that honor God. And let's certainly be doing so in our own lives. Um, Adam, thank you again, as always, for joining us. We appreciate your time here. Always a pleasure. And and yes, you should pray very much for everyone, all our leaders in authority. Amen. All right. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right. I took a deep breath and then I didn't have any um, any any ability to push the words out. I apologize for that. Oh, let's take a deep breath this morning. Let's uh, be people who breathe in the spirit of the living God. Let's be people of mercy and grace. Let's be people who cultivate the mind of Christ on the issues of our day. Let's be in the word of God. Let's be in the word of God. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.